Our reading this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 4, from verse 7 to verse 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. That's God's word for us today. So as we continue the series in First Peter, the title of which is, Where is Your Hope? Uh, we just finished celebrating Thanksgiving, and Stacy and I were having a conversation, I think it was Wednesday night, and we were thinking about different, different ways that we have seen the love of God expressed to us individually through others, through others, and something to be thankful for. So we, we were asking each other this question about, so what's... List some examples of individuals that God expressed his love to you through them. And so we started, we started listing those individuals. So right now, I just want you to take a moment, and I want you to reflect on that very question. So the question is, who has God used in your life to demonstrate Christ-like love to you personally? Who? Do you have that person or persons in mind? For me, the first thing I thought of, because it's, it's really quite fresh in my memory, was, was just over a year ago. For those of you that started coming to Grace, oh, sometime December on of the last year, you weren't here when I was not preaching. So I got hurt at the end of September. I was on my back for a full month. And then I had surgery, and then I was recovering for another month, and I had another surgery. So it was just kind of a train wreck. It was a train wreck. But one of the things which was, uh, I guess your perspective when you're flat on your back changes a little bit, both visibly, visibly and in and, and, and other ways. I'm, I'm typically pretty self-sufficient, um, fairly proud, fairly... Um, think that I can do most things myself. That's why I got hurt in the first place. But when I was on my back, when I was on my back, I couldn't really, I couldn't literally do anything for myself. I couldn't get my own food, couldn't do anything. And, you know, first of all, my wife was that, that expression of her love and care for me. But the body of Christ, the body of Christ, all of you, all of you, served my wife and I in ways which, which can't be repaid. And there's, there's too many to list, to list all of them, but it was, it, was, it was absolutely profound. I remember in October, just in a drug-induced stupor, lying there in and out of sleep, and a whole family had come over. And, and they, had, they didn't ask Stacy. They told Stacy, we're coming over, and we're going to clean your whole house. 
And so I could hear them and they kind of popped in, hi, Brooks. And then I could just hear the vacuum running. I could hear everything. And then other times, a, a single, single guy from the downtown church called Stace and, uh, about three weeks after that or a month later and said, can I come over and, and I'll, I'll, I'll clean your house. What do you need done? And so I remember lying on the floor in, in the living room and he, t- he just talked to me as he, as he cleaned our house. Asked Stacy and I, where did you meet? The whole time he was cleaning, he was asking, he was counseling, he was just doing all these things, all these things. And then later having, uh, after I was recovering and my wife going to see her mother and I was home alone just a few days after my surgery, having one of the elders just come over and just sat, babysat, meaning the baby, (laughs) he just sat with me all day long, all day long. And one display of love after another. One display after another of, of the love of Christ. And it was, it was moving to, to consider that. To, to, and then to think about what inspired that love was that those individuals had received the love of Christ and they wanted to express the love of Christ to someone else. And we were the recipients, the grateful recipients of that. So this morning, the text in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, the subject matter is how to love well. Something that I confess, I in just, I think now after 30 some years of following Christ, just now starting to like, oh, that's what it looks like. And how to love well. I, I, I enter into this saying, I'm, I'm not an expert teaching you how to do what I'm doing well. I want you to understand that. I'm a fellow follower of Christ examining the scriptures, and I want to discover with you how I can love well, how we can love well together. Three things we're going to look at. First of all, what is commanded in the scripture? What does the text actually say to us? What is Peter telling us that, that we ought to do? The second thing is why, or what are the, what's the end result? What's the end result of that love? And the third thing is, all right, how? How do I become, how do we become the kind of people who, as a matter of our new nature, desire to love others and are able to love others? Both of those, desire and ability, have to be there. And how does that, how does that happen? How does a person become transformed so that they, A, want to, and B, are able to love the way that Christ loved them. So let's pray as we open up God's word. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. That's where we're going to be this morning. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time. Father, we come to you, first of all, thanking you this Thanksgiving season. We are thankful for the fact that you have demonstrated your love for us in this. While all of us were still sinners, you became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. You took our sins and you separated them as far as the east is from the west. Lord, you demonstrated your love for us. And so, Lord, thank you for that. I pray this morning that you would would help us to understand, that you would help us to receive, and you would help us to obey what you have commanded. Lord, we pray that you would be exalted, Christ, that you would be lifted up, that you'd give me your words, that the word of God would not return void. And I just pray a lot, Father, you'd have your way in each and every heart this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's get to it. First of all, the what? What is, what is commanded? Take a look. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 8. Above all, full stop, 
above all. This is not in addition to what I've told you in the last four chapters. Let me just add one more thing for you to consider. No, this is above everything you've heard and above anything else you're going to hear afterwards. This, more than anything else, more than anything else is what I want you to take away. Above all, that's what it means. Above everything else. The other stuff was important, but this is of central importance. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Now, earnestly means intensely. It means continuously. It means with, with, with intentionality. It's not passive. This is very, very active. And, and, and it's, there's a forcefulness about it. So above all, keep loving one another. Keep loving one another earnestly. Now, the definition of love, this is important because in our culture, we tend to hear love one another and it's, it's natural for us to think of loving someone as having a particular uh, affection for a person and feeling a certain way for a person. And that's not incorrect because when you love someone, oftentimes we use the word love in that way. It, it means that I feel a certain way for someone. That's not what Peter's saying. That's fine, but that's not what he's saying. When he says love one another, he's, he's using a biblical definition. The Greek word is agape. It means to seek. It means to seek the welfare or the good of another person. That does not necessarily mean that you have affection for them. Otherwise, Jesus couldn't say love your enemies. You don't have affection for enemies, yes? That, that doesn't work. But you can love them in, in the sense that you seek their welfare. That's, that's what it means. Now, a description, a description of a loving person looks like this. This is a very famous verse. Even non-Christians look at this verse. Um, this is not a command. This is just Paul telling us, here's what love looks like. When you see it, this is what it will look like. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy and it doesn't boast. It's not arrogant and it's not rude. It, it does not insist on its own way. It's not selfish. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things it endures all things. So that's, that's what it looks like when you see it. That's what it looks like when you see it. Now, let's get back to the text and see what, what Peter says uh, that, that love looks like in, in a terms of a demonstrative way when you demonstrate it to others. So, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. We'll come back to that second part of verse 8 in a minute here. But let's look at verse 9. Okay, so what does love look like in Peter's world amongst one another, the body of Christ? First thing he says is, is show hospitality to one another without grumbling. The word hospitality, it means literally to entertain strangers, to have them into your home. Now, now remember, how does Peter characterize these people? He keeps referring to them as a term exiles, exiles. These are Christians that have been dispersed all over the place. 
And, and Peter experienced when the church was born, 2,000 people came to Christ at, at one time, and all these Jews gathered from every nation. They just stayed put in Jerusalem. Now, there, there are no uh, comfort ends. There's no Motel 6s. So if, if all of these people are displaced and they are all staying in Jerusalem and then they're scattered abroad, they, they're wanderers, they're exiles. There's nowhere for them to stay except by the hospitality of Christians that have them enter their home. So he's saying, continue that. Remember, it says, keep loving. So they are doing it currently. He says, keep on, keep pressing on with that. Keep pressing on with that. But show hospitality to one another without grumbling. The word grumble means just... It means to mutter under your breath. Now, why would showing hospitality cause one to mutter under one's breath? Because it costs something. It costs something. It costs you your time. It costs you your convenience. Just let's just all be open and honest for a minute. How many of you hosted a huge family gathering in your homes last week? That few, huh? Okay. (laughs) We need to work on this first. All right. How many of you at one point at least grumbled as you were, as you were preparing this? Yes. Yes. Why? Because Cousin Eddie's going to come over with his Jelly of the Month Club. He's going to park his RV out in the front lawn. And that's... When people, human beings, come together, it's an occasion for either demonstrating love or grumbling. Because they're annoying. The people that we love the most tend to annoy us the most, especially when you get a whole bunch of them in your home at the same time. And so that's... What he's saying here, to one another without, without grumbling, without grumbling. And verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Here, this is the essence of love. The essence of love is to seek the good of another. So you are a loving human being when you are seeing another human being who, 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 and, and, and you're looking for an opportunity to make their life uh, blessed in, a certain, in any way. That's, that's the essence of love. How can I bless this person? Now, notice what, what, what Peter says. As each has received a gift. The, the word gift here is, is charismata. It, it's, it's a spiritual gift. If you are in Christ, you've received the Holy Spirit. Because you've received the Holy Spirit, you're regenerate. That means you're born again. You've been made alive in Christ. You used to be dead in your sins, but now you're alive in Christ. So you've received the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit, Paul says in Ephesians 1, is a seal, a deposit, guaranteeing your inheritance. So that's what makes you a new creation in Christ is the reception of the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit comes with that abilities that you did not have previous to receiving Christ, you have now. God has given each one of you a gift or gifts, plural, that he desires you to use so that you might express his love towards someone else and the body of Christ might be built up and the world know that you are his disciples. You, all of you, have a gift. One year ago, I witnessed a manifold expression of gifting on, at, at my benefit my family's benefit. The generosity, 
the service, the words of encouragement. God gifted you and you use those gifts to bless my family. And we are thankful for that. Each one of you is gifted. How does he say it? He says, as good stewards. What is a steward? A steward is a person who's been entrusted with something valuable. And they're entrusted with that for the purpose of using what they've been given for the benefit of who, whoever it is gave you what they gave you. So we are stewards of the manifold gifts which God has given us. And he expects us to use those gifts so that others might be blessed, so that he might be glorified. That's how it works. That's how it works. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another of, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Varied grace. The multiple ways. The multiple ways. You can write these down just as uh, if you're a note taker. 1 Corinthians 12. Write that down. Uh, Romans chapter 12. These are a couple different places, and there's multiple places in the Bible where, where, where it lists a whole bunch of different spiritual gifts. So those are two different passages, and there are others, Ephesians 4. But none of these passages, uh, all of these, sometimes there's different gifts which are in, in all the different listings, and sometimes this passage has a little few more. And this, but none of them hold all the gifts, and, and they're... The, they're not the same listing of gifts. There's, they're varied. They're manifold. But one verse I do want to draw to your attention, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's what Peter's talking about. Peter and Paul are talking about the same thing. What's your gift? How has God gifted you? So, well, he hasn't gifted me. That's false humility. It's not true. You may not have discovered how God has gifted you, but he has gifted you and he, he desires all of us to express that gift in somehow serving other human beings, followers of Christ and those who are not followers of Christ so that they might experience the love of God. Now he lists a couple different examples. Verse 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. And then he says, whoever serves as one ser who serves by the strength that God supplies. So that, that's, a, that's a two different umbrellas under a larger umbrella. The larger umbrella is the, the spiritual gifts. And there's types of gifts. There's service gifts. There's service gifts, hospitality, generosity, mercy, um, all sorts of different ways you can, you, can, you can serve another human being. And then there's under another umbrella, speaking gifts, where, where these individuals here speak as one who speaks the oracles of God. So, so each individual, every single one of you, myself included, we need to experience the love of God. Now, God loves us through other people multiple ways. Number one, by meeting tangible needs. Meeting needs that we can't meet for ourselves. Yes? Those are... Those are met through acts of service by other people. Another way that God ministers to us is by telling us what we need to hear about who we are in him and what he's done for us. Those are speaking gifts. So when I preach the word of God, 
I declare to you the oracles of God. That is the sayings of God. Why do I do that? For your edification, so that you might come to know Christ, so that you might become encouraged in Christ, and if you don't know Christ, to repent of your sins and receive Christ. That, that's, that's what I do. I use the gifts that God has given me to do that. And I'm like, wow, thank God I don't have to serve anyone now. All I got to do is speak at them. No, 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 no. No, manifold gifts. Just because I have one gift, which is the gift of teaching, doesn't mean that I do not have to therefore serve and use my hands and my feet and love people that way. So whether it's giving a word of encouragement or giving someone a cup of cold water when they're thirsty, each of those are expressions of gifts. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Peter's saying, listen, this, you don't do these things in and of your own strength. You can serve other people in this, the power of your own strength. And what does that look like? It looks like quid pro quo. I'll serve you, but I'm looking for something in return. And the reason I'm serving you is so that I can get something in return. I'm using my strength so that I can get your strength. So ultimately, it's all about the person serving. Now, the person being served benefits, but that's a self-serving service, if you will. So serving with all the strength that God supplies. So that's, that's the what. That's the what. Now let's look at the why. Let's look at the why. The results. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since, could be translated that or because... Since love covers a multitude of sins. All right, let's just get personal now. In your closest relationships, those are the people who have the ability to irritate you the most. Yes? Of course they do, right? Now, when you set your mind and your heart to loving them and serving them, as Christ has loved you and loves you and serves you, the things, the small things that they do to irritate you are less significant. You remember 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Love keeps no record of wrongs. So those things which they do to irritate you, you tend to overlook. If you do not have a grace mentality, if you are not seeking to love them, the moment they irritate you, you go to your ledger in your head. You know the ledger in your head, in your heart? And you keep a record of wrongs. Husband disrespected me again today. Wife is not respecting me again today. You, you get the idea? So when you're keeping those records, when you're keeping those records, when you are seeking to be served... When that's your MO, when that's your goal, what are they doing for me? How are they not doing it right? Or how are they not doing it good enough? Or how are they neglecting me? The focus is on what they are doing or not doing for you. And the focus is not on you loving them. And so the multitude of sins are not covered up. They are simply piled up. And you stumble over them. And they hinder your relationships. It doesn't mean that Peter's not saying that when someone sins against you, you should not address that. He's talking about when, when we seek to love, it, it serves as the oil, the oil that lubricates the engine, reduces the friction, and thereby reduces heat 
And so the engine doesn't seize up in the middle of the road, overheat, and then you can't go anywhere. That's, that's what he's talking about here. But I want you to notice something else. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Look at verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Now, you know where Peter got this, right? So this isn't something Peter just invented. But, but keep reading. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's, that's how they know. That's how they know. So don't they know through the preaching of the gospel? Yeah, but this, the, the giving of your life in the service of other individuals validates the preaching of the gospel. Otherwise, it's just words. It's just words. I remember last year I, I had planned on installing a wood stove. A wood stove. And that was the plan. And then I got hurt. And so then some individuals just came and they installed the wood stove while I was recovering from my surgery. And then a dump truck showed up with a load of firewood and and 20 people from Grace and other churches showed up and stacked my firewood as I'm when I came out there watching them. Don't think my neighbors didn't notice. Who are all those people? Those are just people from my church. Do you see when the world sees that kind of display of service? They're like, that, that's, that totally throws them off. That's not what they're used to. They're used to quid pro quo. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Or how much does this cost? These individuals gave of themselves, gave of their time, gave of their talent, gave of their treasure to serve my family as an expression of the love of Christ. It's noticeable. And when you see that, when you see that, and when the world sees that, Christ is glorified. He's glorified. Verse 17, or chapter 17, rather. John 17, verse 20 through 23. I don't ask for these only. This is Jesus praying in the garden just before he's arrested. But for those who will believe in me through their word, that's you and I, that they may all be one just as you, Father, and I are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I give to them, that they may be one. It says it again, that you and I are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so the world may know that you sent me and love them 
even as you have loved me. When the body of Christ is unified in sacrificial service towards the mutual edification and benefit of one another, the world notices because that's not normal. That is not normal. And he says, when that happens, a multitude of sins are covered and there is a unification and there is a, there is a corporate group love that the world says, what is going on with those people whom I loathe because they don't share my values and they don't share my beliefs and they're not for the things that I'm for, but their community is more loving than my community. And I cannot deny that. That's what Peter's saying. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, at this point, this has all been a big yawner for you. You're like, yes, Brooks, I know, I know, I know. Love one another. Right? This isn't news for any of you if you're a follower of Christ. The question, if you're like me, is, okay, yeah, but how? How? What's the process by which I can become the kind of person who loves like that? Loving like this, three things. First of all, you need to know it ain't natural. There's nothing natural about loving the way that Peter is describing here. Turn your Bibles to first, or not first John, the Gospel of John chapter 13, just for reference. I want you to, I want you to see this. Now the context is this is the, this is the Passover feast. Jesus is the last supper. And it, it, take a look here. It says in, in John chapter 13, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper and laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, then poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, Typically, if Jesus and the disciples had gone into someone, someone's home, it's the host's responsibility to provide water and to provide something for his guests to wash their feet. But in this case, there is no host. At least the owner of the upper room is simply letting them use the upper room. So you have the disciples plus Jesus coming into this scenario and they all have filthy, dirty feet. They didn't have underground sewage system. It just runs in ditches outside of the homes. So they have filthy, dirty feet. And in their context, when they lie down, when they eat, their noses are closer to one another's feet than ours are because we sit in chairs, they recline on the floor. So the question that's going through everybody's mind is, who's going to wash our feet? I'm not going to wash their feet. I ain't washing their feet. They're already arguing about who's the greatest. And, and the greatest in Peter's mind and in John and James's mind is the one who doesn't serve but tells everybody what to do. And the one they acknowledge as the greatest takes the towel, wraps it around his waist, and begins to wash their feet. It's not natural. It is totally unnatural to walk into a situation and go, all right, how can I serve these people? That's not natural. What's natural is 
What's in it for me? How can my happiness quotient be increased by associating with all these people? Eh, they have a lot of needs, therefore I'm going to grumble, grumble, grumble back into the distance here and just hopefully I'm not noticed. Jesus isn't that way. He seizes the day here. He does two things. First of all, he meets a physical need. He washes their filthy, grimy feet. And then he speaks words of truth to them. This is the context where we get the greatest discourse that's recorded in the Bible, the upper room discourse. That whole discourse is him telling them what they need to know. So he does everything Peter said. And that's not natural. Now, remember, what is going to happen at the end of the evening? He's going to be arrested. Does he know this? Yes. And what's his focus? His focus is on their welfare, not his own. That's totally unnatural. When you're under duress, when you're under stress, when you're sick, when, 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 you're, when things aren't going your way, you tend to turn inward. I tend to turn inward. We tend to focus on ourselves. We, become, we get into self-protection mode. Jesus says the exact opposite, and it's completely unnatural, and Peter knows it. Peter knows it. It's not natural. It's not natural. It begins, it begins with receiving God's love. The reference here is 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 10, where John says, it's not that we first love God, but rather it's that God first loved us and poured his love out for us, and we received his love. We can only love as Christ loved us after having received the love of God. Peter experienced this after denying him, after abandoning him, after hanging it up and thinking that Christ was done with him. He, the resurrected Christ appeared to him. And then John chapter 21, Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, you know that I love you. And he says, then feed my sheep. Two more times, three times totally, he asked him the same question. Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. He reinstates him. He tells him, Peter, I love you. I've demonstrated my love for you. Now, now go love others. Yes, I know you failed, but I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. And you're going to be able to love others as I have loved you. Feed my sheep. It begins with receiving God's love. Have you received God's love? That's a yes or no question. I didn't ask if you're aware that God loves you. Have you received it? To receive God's love means, it means to believe upon him. It means to trust him. It means to cry out to him, Lord Jesus, give me your spirit. Forgive me of my sins. It means to begin a relationship with him, to receive the free gift. You don't work your way into a relationship with Christ. You receive a relationship with Christ based upon what he has done. It begins with receiving God's love. Now, many of you have already begun that journey. You became a Christian when you were a young person. Or you became a Christian in college like I did. Or you became a Christian when you first got married. Or you became a Christian last week on your 65th birthday for some of you. I don't know. So you've already received Christ's love. But how do you become, as someone who's received Christ's love, the kind of person who can give Christ's love? How does that happen? Well, that occurs, and that's a product of abiding. John 15 Jesus says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can't do anything. Now that word abide, that word abide, it means remain. 
It means remain. It remain. It, it, it's a. It's a. This is the process by which, with Jesus, when he calls Peter and he says, "Follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men." Peter begins that journey of following, and he doesn't know anything. He's clueless, which he demonstrates multiple times. And and then at Pentecost, he receives the Holy Spirit, and now he is able to do what God has commanded him to do. If you are in Christ, you have received the Holy Spirit in the same way that Peter has. But you may not be the kind of person who desires to love your enemies, let alone your spouse or your kids or your neighbor, and you don't feel able to. I think probably many of you fit that category. Maybe you want to, just don't feel able to. So how do you become that kind of person? Keep following. Abide. Remain. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. Remain in me and my words will remain in you and you will bear much fruit. It's not, the focus is not trying harder to love. Trying harder to love trying harder to produce fruit. The focus is on abiding in Christ and and practicing His presence day by day by day. This is what it means to practice His presence. How many of you have heard this prayer? Father, we just come into Your presence this morning. Anybody heard that? It begs the question, where were you before then? Come into his presence. Jesus said, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. See, that's what abiding is. If you have the Holy Spirit, Christ wants to be in your presence and wants you to experience his presence every waking moment of every single day. That's what abiding is. And when we abide, when we abide and we're we're aware of his presence moment by moment, it changes how we interact with other people. It changes how we interact with other people. It is a product of abiding. So some practical considerations. Here's your homework. This is your cue to get out your phones and type all this in or write it down. Ready? Number one, how will you abide this week? Practice his presence. What will you do differently this week which will cue you to be aware and consciously aware of his presence moment by moment? That, that means doing certain things. Do you read the Bible daily? No, that's a good place to start. Do you pray daily? That's a good place to start. There's lots of different ways that you can consciously, consciously be in his presence and be aware of his presence. How will you abide this week? What will you do different? What will you do different? Secondly, who does God want you to earnestly love? Some of you are thinking, well, he wants us to love everybody. Does God want you to love everybody? Yes. And that's the worst place to start. Why? Because if the goal is to love everybody, how many people will you love? No, no, you'll, nobody. If everybody's the target, I'll hit no one. That's just the way it works in the real world. So start with somebody. Start with somebody. Who does God want you to earnestly love? Can I recommend not starting with Hitler? Can we not start with the person you, you loathe the most? Uh, start, with, start with someone that you're in, you're in their circle and you could potentially do something, and, but it's going to require some effort. And then ask God to show you how to love them this week. 
This is super practical. Lord, you put this person on my heart for reasons I'm not sure why, but how do you want me to demonstrate your love towards them? And now wait. Wait. What does it look like? How have you received love? What, what are the, and ask, and what, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to listen. Begins with prayer. Listen. Listen. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to them. What are their needs? What tangible needs do they have? Physically, emotionally, spiritually. And then, as you, as you hear from God, what are their needs? Well, then how can you meet those needs? In some act of service or some, some words of encouragement? And then obey whatever the Lord reveals. It's a process. And we're not very good at it, so it requires practice. But the more you practice, the more you become, through the power of the Holy Spirit, like Christ. And his love is represented through you. That's how it works. I've seen it through you. You've seen it through other people. You may not have recognized it at the time, but this is how the Lord works through his people. And he calls us to do the same. So as we close in prayer this morning, if you have a tangible need, a spiritual need, a tangible need, you would like to be prayed for, I want to encourage you to come forward. I and some other people will be up here. We can pray over you, pray for you, regardless of what the need is. Encourage you to do that. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for serving us by loving us, by giving of yourself. Lord, we thank you for the word of God uh, through the Apostle Peter. Jesus, we cannot do any of this on our own. It's not natural. It's not our natural inclination to seek to serve, to seek to encourage. Uh, Father, it's our natural inclination to be served, and it's our natural inclination to just kind of withdraw from people, especially people who have needs. Lord, would you help us to recognize how great our need is of, of you, how you have met that need, so that we might be ten, um, cognizant, Lord, of the needs of others, both spiritually and, and physically, Lord. And give us the grace and the will, Lord, to obey you and the desire to meet those needs so that Christ might be exalted. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless, go in grace. We'll see you next week.